you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. From 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City, please enjoy this podcast edition of Late Night with Seth Meyers. Today you'll hear Seth's interview with comedian and writer Anthony Jeselnik, who sticks around for a few more questions backstage exclusively for this podcast. But first, late-night writer Dina Gazowski tells Seth why she feels strongly about immigrant parents. After a handful of celebrity parents were caught up in a massive college admission scandal, there's been a renewed focus on extreme parenting techniques, including something called snowplow parenting, a trend in which parents go to great lengths to shield even their adult children from life's obstacles. Here to comment, please welcome one of my writers, Dina Gazowski. As a native Russian and a child of immigrants, I think this whole idea of snowplow parenting is absolutely insane. Which brings me to a new segment called Everyone Should Be Raised by Immigrants. Look, growing up is hard, but immigrant parents make it even harder. They don't snowplow. If anything, they bury you in snow and give you a tiny shovel to dig yourself out. You know, to build character. Now, I came to America when I was four, and one of my first memories here was my parents sending me off without warning to the horror that is kindergarten. Oh, I remember kindergarten being fun and easy. For you, I'm sure it was, but I did not speak English and no one there spoke Russian. Oh, yeah, that's different. <laughs> well, Seth, that was the least of it, because my parents also wanted to make sure that I was not underdressed for my big day. So they sent me to school in what they assumed all Americans send their kids to school in, a tuxedo and a top hat. (laughs) That's right. I had to explain to the other children in broken English that I was indeed their classmate and not a tiny cruise ship magician. But that taught me to fend for myself very early on. I mean, that's rough. It's adorable, but it's rough. And if you think that's bad, as you get older, immigrant parents are constantly reminding you how much better you could have been, how much more you should have done, and how Svetlana's daughter is going to Harvard then she is only 12 years old. (laughs) They always bring up Svetlana when they want you to feel bad. I'm sorry, is Svetlana your mother's friend? She says Svetlana's real, but no one knows for sure. Like a Russian Santa. 
Seth, I read an article that said some American parents let their kids come home from college because they didn't like their roommates. You think living with a college roommate is hard? Try living with an immigrant mother. No matter how bad your college roommate is, they're not gonna keep weak old veal tongue in the fridge. And they certainly wouldn't ask every date you bring back to the dorm when he intends to propose. <laughs> Do you know that she is already 20? Her ovaries will not last forever. <laughs> Seth, it may seem like it's tough to be raised by immigrants, but they're just trying to prepare you for the real world. They would never embarrass you by getting arrested like some of these celebrity snowplow parents, but they will embarrass you by putting you in a top hat and a tux. This has been Everyone Should Be Raised by Immigrants. Our guest is a comedian and writer. His latest stand-up special, Fire in the Maternity Ward, is currently streaming on Netflix. Please welcome to the show Anthony Jeselnik, everyone. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you for being here live. Thank you for not making me dance onto the stage. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I saw Terry before. I was like, I did not have that kind of energy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We thought you guys would be a nice counterbalance to each other. <laughs> we go everywhere together. Uh, it's, it's a very odd couple situation. <laughs> you, uh, congratulations on this special. This is your fourth special, mm -hmm. uh, Fire in the Maternity Roared. You are one of my uh, favorite joke writers. This show is so incredibly uh, well-crafted. There's so many jokes in it. There are a lot of jokes about kids. Yes. Do you ever uh, yourself think about having kids? I used to not. I enjoy my freedom and my money. Yeah. Um, but then I actually had some friends. I had, uh, I'm friends with a lesbian couple. This is a story about lesbians. You had me on live TV, you knew what you were doing. <laughs> they came to me and they were like, Anthony, we asked, we want to have a baby. And we asked one of our friends and he said, I don't think I could be a father. I don't think I can be a father in that way where I have a baby in the world, but I'm not around in its life. And I said, well, you just hit the jackpot. <laughs> because there is nothing, nothing I would like more than to have a baby and have nothing to do with it ever. <laughs> I'm in for sure. They're like, great, we're going to go through a lawyer. It's an official thing. Okay? A lawyer emails me. Says, here's the contract. I'm going to call you tomorrow. We'll go through it. Next day, lawyer calls. Says, did you read the contract? I said, I didn't even finish the email. <laughs> what do you need besides my sperm? And she says, I got to ask you some questions. First, are you married? No, but wouldn't that be hilarious if I was? <laughs> like, like, if I didn't want to cheat, I just wanted the consequences. <laughs> <you know? laughs> no, I'm not married. I say, are you in a sexual relationship with this couple? Am I in a sexual relationship with my married lesbian friends who have dedicated their lives to proving they're not into that? <laughs> no, I am not. That's a stupid question. She says, do you have a plan to get into a sexual relationship? Of course I do. <laughs> of course I have a plan. Like, I know how I would do it if I had to, you know? Ridiculous question. <laughs> Next, she says, now, they own the sperm. Are you okay with them throwing out the extra once they're pregnant? Absolutely not. <laughs> you keep that in your purse forever, <laughs> all right? As a reminder. <laughs> final question. She says, uh, if, if they 
have extra sperm, are they allowed to sell it to other women who want to have your baby? That's how they get you, Seth. <laughs> That's how they get you. I'm like, there's no way I'm putting my sperm on the open market. There would be riots. <laughs> right, right. I was like, no, I refuse that. And the lawyer says, okay, well, two things. You're not allowed to talk about this. <laughs> it's like, sure. <laughs> Don't stay up too late. Uh, and I'm not allowed to tell the child that I'm the father. They can say that, but I'm not allowed. I'm like, I'm never talking to this kid. Don't worry about it. Just, okay, just remember, you are not allowed to release or have sex for five days before each deposit three times. I'm like, can I give you three? You know what I mean? <laughs> have you ever had someone ask to have sex with you? and then had to say, no, I'm trying to get someone else pregnant. (laughs) That conversation does not go well. And there are follow-up questions out the wazoo. It's not not worth it. So I go, I go three times, I make the deposit. I'm like, all right, what's next? And they go, actually, Anthony, our other friend we asked first changed his mind. And now he's going to be the father. And again, I've never wanted kids in my life. But now this is about pride, Seth. (laughs) Now I'm furious that they want to go and have a garbage baby (laughs) when they could be having my baby. My sperm is just sitting in a bank frozen when it could be earning interest. I'm so sorry that they put you through this. I know. I know. Well, someone out there hopefully is going to get their hands on it one day. I'm going to have so many babies, Seth. <laughs> I want a science baby. Like, I don't want a sex baby. A sex baby you got to love and take care and send to college. Yeah. A science baby, I don't know the difference between that and Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> it should not be. I don't have to love it if it's a science baby. So I want to at some point 23andMe to call me and be like, what's going on over there? <laughs> I hope that happens. I want to ask before you go, uh, you uh, finished filming a show called Good Talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very exciting. Uh, It's going to be on Comedy Central? Yeah, Comedy Central, September, Friday nights at 11. It's kind of like this, only I get to talk to my friends. You know, (laughs) I don't have to deal... I don't have to deal with any old Johnny off the street. They're my friends. We're talking about comedy. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm going to look forward to that. Thanks so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to see you. Anthony Jeselnik, everybody. Fire and Maturity Award is streaming on Netflix now. Hey, this is Kevin from Late Night. We were backstage with Anthony Jeselnik. Hey, Anthony. Hey, man. How's it going? It's great. Great. Good. Congrats on your stand-up special, Fire and the Maternity Award. Thank you. It's really fun to hear people say those words. Your fourth hour-long special. Yes. Where did the title come from for the special? I just, I thought of it. I mean, I don't have a joke about a fire in the maternity ward. It just, I you hear that like, you know, fire in the disco uh, kind of thing. And once I thought of fire in the maternity ward, everyone I, who, like I ran the name by yeah. was either horrified or laughed. And I thought that's perfect. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to go with. You know, a lot of people who have seen your specials before and seen your material before, they sort of know what your comedy is. But for some people who are new to it, What's the reaction that you'll find to your comedy and to your jokes? It's almost like I'm, I'm the comedic version of a horror movie uh-huh. where there's a lot of building of tension and then a releasing of tension in a horrible way that you're like, I, if you didn't know what you were getting into, if you thought you were going to see a romantic comedy, you would be horrified. But yeah. if you know my past and the subject matter, 
then you're then you're ready to kind of sink your teeth in and you know no one's actually getting hurt yeah uh, but you can laugh and, and enjoy it i mean there's jokes about dropping babies there's jokes about you know pretty much just dropping babies i mean it's been <laughs> an hour of that yeah yeah never gets old no yeah. babies are the most innocent victims in a joke that i just love going after them as hard as i can yeah and you do mm-hmm. yeah which is uh, most specifically yeah <laughs> When you were starting out in comedy, when did you know, like, okay, this is what I'm going to hook into and, like, this is my style and developing that voice for your comedy? Well, I started very young. I was 23 and no one cared about me at all. You know, there's nothing in my life that I could tell an audience that they would be interested in. So I thought, I'll write jokes. And I wanted the jokes to be smart and clever. And I I kind of ripped off Jack Handy, if you know who that is, from Mm -hmm. from SNL. Deep Thoughts was a big thing for me. And then one night I told a mean version of one of his jokes. Not absurd, but like mean. And the audience response was so guttural and visceral that I thought this is the laugh that I want. You know, if you're at a funeral and someone whispers a joke to you and you know you shouldn't be laughing, but you're cracking up harder than you ever would laugh anywhere else, that's what I want. Your first real writing job was in this building. It was just two floors below here when Jimmy mm-hmm. Fallon hosted Late Night. Yes. Um, what was that year like for you being a writer at Fallon? It was, uh, It was. I think I can say now, I'm friends with everybody, it was difficult. Yeah. Uh, I, we didn't know what we were doing. And like the monologue staff was two people. And they'd come in and be like, we don't have enough jokes for tonight. And I was like, oh, am I bad at this? And now I think the staff is probably 12, 15 people. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you guys screwed us. And we thought for like six months, we thought we were just bad at our jobs. Yeah, they're making but you guys it, the real workhorses. It, w- it was tough, but it was fun because the show was a hit right away. So everyone was happy. And being part of that original family of the show uh, seemed to mean a lot. You know, you didn't get fired if you were one of the original hires. Yeah. And I think I was the first guy to go after a, after a year. Is that the longest that you've had a steady writing job like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been fired from every job I've ever had except for that one. Did you like going into the office every day and having a steady writing job like that? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, it was the reason I got into stand-up. But by the time I got the job, stand-up was going so well that that was my priority. And I let everyone know that was my priority. Right. Uh, uh, But I did love coming into Rockefeller Center every day and going to work at a place where tourists are wandering around with their mouth open you know yeah. that was that was fun to me and i uh, i enjoyed just being a, being around a team of people building a show yeah. was uh, was a lot of fun and i'm still friends with all of those people that's great you've got a show coming to comedy central in september called good talk and can you tell us a little bit about that yeah i have yeah. a tv show called a good talk with anthony jeselnik we just finished taping uh, a couple weeks ago that'll air in september on comedy central friday nights at 11 o'clock it's just almost the opposite of what you guys do. I didn't want to talk about politics or current events. It's just two comedian friends uh, kind of having the conversation you would have backstage right before you went on. You know, that's, uh, that, was, that was really fun and silly. Mm-hmm. And we got some uh, good answers out of people. So I'm, I'm excited for that to uh, premiere in a few months. Besides the ones that you've had on the show, who are contemporary comics that you hang out with or that you're sort of close to? You know, it's hard because as you get more successful, you just get separated. People are off doing movies. They're on the road. You only really see each other at festivals. But I remember, you know, back when I was here in New York, I was going to the, going to the comedy cellar every night. Guys like Colin Quinn, David Tell, Jim Norton, Keith Robinson. Like that was kind of the crew that you hang with. And now in, in New York, I'm at the comedy store where it's guys like Chris D'Elia, Joe Rogan, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, Ali Wong. And that's just kind of the people that go on before and after you yeah. are the only people that you really see and talk to. Is there a difference in your mind between L.A. and New York stand-ups? Yes. In, uh, and I'll, it's, it's very clear. If I ask a New York stand-up what's going on, 
They tell me about a new book they read or a movie they saw or their families in town. You ask an LA comic what's going on. They tell you about a meeting they had or a deal they're working on uh-huh. or a script they're halfway through. It's, it's, compl- it's night and day. Gotcha. Well, thanks so much for being here and um, congrats on the special. Thank you very much. Late Night with Seth Meyers airs weeknights on NBC at 12.35, 11.35 Central. Original music on the Late Night podcast is by the HE Band. Don't forget to follow the handle Late Night Seth on social media and tell your friends to subscribe to the Late Night podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.